today's scripture reading comes to us from 1 John chapter 4, verse 9 to 10. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent his only Son into the world so that we might live through him. In this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he is loved, with, he, that he is loved us and sent his Son to be the propitiation for our sins. This is the word of the Lord. Good morning. I think uh, before I proceed any further, I have to address the elephant in the room. And that is, where did I get this smoking shirt? Um, This is a shirt that Pastor James, our wonderful Pastor James, got from Wa when they went on their short-term mission trip, which you're going to hear the bulk of. Today's message is very short to give room for his wonderful presentation today. And I told Pastor James, Pastor James, you have two priorities. Priority number one is preach the gospel, share Jesus. But a greater priority than that is to make sure that you come back with a nice tie, authentic silk shirt. And so I want to find any reason to wear this on the Lord's Day. And I felt I found no better reason than to do it on the day where they're giving their tie uh, short-term missions report. So, yes, remember the Tenth Commandment, guys. Don't sin by coveting my shirt because you cannot have it. A brother who I will not name really liked this shirt to the point where he hugged me, and as he was pulling away, he kept rubbing the shirt. I won't, I won't tell you who it is, but uh, I love this man, and uh, I can tell he loved my shirt more. But without further ado, let's pray and ask for the Lord's blessing. Father, we thank you so much for your goodness and your grace manifested in most preeminently in our salvation, but also in the fact that you've given us this wonderful church family. Father, we are far from perfect, but yet, Lord, we are ruled over by the perfect Savior, the one who sanctifies and redeems, the one who challenges and changes so that we could be the people who represent our perfect Christ, so that this imperfect world would have hope in looking to you, thereby being able to have peace, even though the world may be falling apart. We know that it's sustained and it will be renewed by the one who is the glorious, perfect one. And now, Father, we pray that, yes, indeed, you will bless this message in spite of the one who brings it. For we ask in Jesus' name, amen. In the opening paragraph of the first chapter of his well-known book, Let the Nations Be Glad, Pastor John Piper opens up with these words. He writes, quote, missions is not the ultimate goal of the church. Worship is. Mission exists because worship doesn't. Worship is ultimate, not missions, because God is ultimate, not man. When this age is over and the countless millions of the redeemed fall on their faces before the throne of God, missions will be no more. It is a temporary necessity, but worship abides forever. Worship, therefore, is the fuel and goal of missions. It is the goal of missions because in missions, we simply aim to bring the nations into the white hot enjoyment of God's glory, end quote. Given that the Thailand mission trip is going to give their report, I thought I would whet the appetite of yours by addressing the issue that Pastor John Piper correctly brings up as to what should fuel our desire for missions, and that is worship. I want to address worship, but by doing so, I want to ask a very relevant question. And that question is, how do you have the right attitude 
when it comes to worshiping God? A very important question as far as I'm concerned. And what we come to see that in order to answer these, this question, you must answer these three. Number one, what do I need to know about worship? Number two, what do I, not you, what do I need to change about worship? And finally, what do I need to believe to worship? What do I need to know about worship, change about worship, and believe to worship? Answering these three questions cumulatively will answer that first question of how do I have the right attitude to worship? Because if there's anything that we want to make sure that we are doing well and with excellence and with propriety is worshiping God the way that he says we are to worship him, not the way that we fancy to worship him. Amen? So, with that in mind, let's go to the first question. What do I need to know about worship? Now, many of us in you who grew up going to church, doing this church thing, we hear the word worship, and almost immediately we have a certain idea in mind, almost exclusively. When we think of the word worship, we imagine a certain scenario such as this. When we think of worship, this is the picture. This is the visual image that we have internally going on in our mind. You know, it's a gathering of people where they come around into this place that we call the church so that they could stand together with their eyes closed, with their raised voices, with their hands lifted up, and with their bodies swaying like this. And we say, that is worship. But believe it or not, Scripture would say worship is so much more than that. Hear me. Worship is not simply something you do at church for an hour on any given Sunday. No. Worship is something that you are doing 24 hours a day, every moment of every day of your life. And the reason why I know this is because Scripture is abundantly clear on this issue, is that worship is something God created you to do. Worship is something that you are created to do. Think of it this way. Worship is like breathing. How many of you in here are breathing right now? Oh, dear Lord, I hope I, hope I don't have to call 911. All of you, duh. Come on, wake up, guys. I have a reason to be tired. I don't think most of you, well, a lot of you have reasons to be tired, but I don't think you have more of a reason than me, okay? Worship is something that we do all the time because that's the way we're created to worship, just like we were created to breathe. Every single one of us are breathing. We're inhaling, we're exhaling, and it's not a matter of choice of you waking up one day, will I choose to breathe today or not? No, you just do it because it is something that you are hardwired to do. You are created to do. And here's the thing. Worship is not something, excuse me, not worship. Breathing is not something that you do when you're out and about in the open air. You're breathing all the time. You're breathing in your house while you're at school, while you're at work, while you're watching TV, while you're in the shower, while you're sleeping. Excuse me, why do I keep confusing? Breathing is something that you do all the time. It's inescapable. And that same automatic, instinctive, constant thing also applies to worship. Just as you have no choice on whether or not you breathe, so also you have no choice on whether or not you worship. Consider these words from a former teacher of Pastor James and I. Dr. Paul David Tripp says these, Worship is not primarily your activity. Worship is first your identity as a human being. 
Human beings were created by God to be worshipers. You can't divide people into two groups as if there are some who worship and others who don't. Every person, regardless of religious profession, has worshipped their way through every day of their existence. I would even argue that everything you say and everything you do is, listen again, an act of worship and quote. Hmm. Now, with this in mind, we have to ask... How can I be worshiping all the time if that is true when fact of the matter is I'm not always thinking about God? Interesting question. How can I be said to be always worshiping when I'm not consciously always thinking about God? You know what the answer is? It's because most likely you're worshiping something else other than God. Let me say that again. The reason why You don't constantly think of God, even though you're constantly worshiping, is because you're worshiping something other than God. Listen, just because you aren't always worshiping God doesn't mean you are not always worshiping. It is true. By virtue of living day to day, you are indeed heeding a call to worship, and you're always worshiping. And to tease that out a little bit, let me answer the second question for today. What do I need to change about worship? Whether you realize it or not, whether you want to recognize it or not, you and I, brothers and sisters, are always worshiping. And not just brothers and sisters, every person. Friend, if you're here investigating the Christian faith, I'm telling that is the same of you as well. Every human being is worshiping. And so that buds a question to arise in our heads to where we ask, well, what are we worshiping if by chance, and it's a good chance, we're not worshiping the true and living God? Well, I came across a few diagnostic questions written by some very, very brilliant Bible scholars, and they give us a couple of good sampling diagnostic questions that I'm going to show you in just a minute. As I read this out loud to you, answer it in your head and consider, is the answer to all those questions God or could it be something else? Here they are. What would make me very happy? What do I always think about, even to the point of not being able to sleep at night? What do I really want slash need to have? What am I afraid of losing? What am I willing to sacrifice for? I've asked these specific questions throughout my life as a Christian and as a pastor. And I'll be vulnerable to you with some of the answers that I've said. And also some of the answers that my friends who are also in pastoral ministry have said. Because our answers tend to co-align. And I wonder if they co-align with you. You know what some of my answers have been? Money, possessions, status, like that come from work, my educational pedigree, my social networking, my social media likes, success. What are your answers? There are just some things and people that are around us that we can easily fall into a worshiping posture towards that some of us are in denial of. And yet it is absolutely true. Is it not? But remember how I said, worshiping is like breathing, right? Worshiping is like breathing. And let me ask, what if one day you chose to say, you know what? I think this air thing is overrated. I think I'm going to jump in, jump into that pool over there or go into that ocean, dunk my head in and just <gasps> breathe in that nice chlorinated water or that nice seawater. What do you think is going to happen to you in the next minute? You're probably not going to be happy and you're probably going to be dead, right? Why? 
Because as much as you're created to worship, you're not created to worship anything. No, you're created to worship, excuse me, breathe one thing. I'm doing so terrible today. This is what happens when I don't preach for three weeks in a row, right? But I needed those three weeks, okay? D-board, don't use this against me. I need, I need my time off, but what happens? You die. And the same idea happens when you choose to worship something or someone other than the living God. You spiritually die. When you choose to worship or when you unconsciously worship something or someone other than the true and living God, you are spiritually going to die. Now, you hear that and you're like, what does that even mean? That's so ethereal. That's so vague. That's so nebulous. What does it mean to be spiritually dead? I came up with a practical exercise for you to do just so you can give a small taste of what it means to be spiritually dead. You ready? Start holding your breath right now. Do it. Hold your breath. And don't breathe in or don't breathe out. Just hold on to it. For the next 30 seconds, it's going to be uncomfortable. And then the next 30 seconds after that, it's going to become unbearable. Okay? Okay, you can breathe now. (laughs) I don't want any heads bouncing off the table. This is a liability issue here. Is my lawyer in here? Okay. My point is, you know what it's like to not breathe. It's uncomfortable. It's painful. Imagine if you weren't able to breathe for all eternity. You know, there's a very popular song that was big in the 90s called This is the Air I Breathe. This is the air I breathe. I'm one of those preachers who like to sing, you know, for you visitors. Your holy prayers. That's how I usually sing, by the way. (laughs) This is the air I breathe. You guys heard that one? That actually comes from one of the Psalms, by the way. Why does Scripture define God as breath? Why is one of the first instances in which God interacts with man in Genesis chapter 2 says that he breathed into Adam and Adam became what? A living being, right? Why is it that when Jesus empowers his apostles at Pentecost with the Holy Spirit, it says that he breathed onto them? so that they could worship in various tongues. Breath, life, that's what it means to worship. And imagine what it's like for all eternity to not be able to breathe. That is what scripture says hell is like. And that's literally what makes hell, hell. You are being deprived, you're being denied the very thing That makes life, life. You're being denied access into the presence of God's holy summoning where you join the heavenly choruses and praise him and worship. A lot of us sometimes at our worst moments will say, worship is boring. For me, when I come here or when I'm in my private study reading my scriptures, I say worship is a relief. In a world that is constantly suffocating me with little kids always leeching the breath of life out of me, When I can go before God with prayer and scripture, all of a sudden I find myself saying, I can breathe. I wonder, is that for you? If it's not, let's answer to the final question for the day. What do I need to believe to worship? Consider the words of the Apostle John where he says, in this, the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. In this is love, 
Not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Propitiation for our sins. Do you know that word propitiation? You know what it means? It means to appease. It means to hush. It means to quiet the wrath of God. To calm the wrath of God. So with that established, when you consider what the Apostle John is telling us, it's so profound. And if you missed it, let me tell you in a nutshell. What John is saying here is simply that. In order for you to truly worship God, it requires believing one fundamental thing about God. And that is, He loves you. Pretty simple. And yet not simplistic. If you want to begin the process of correctly worshiping God, the true God, directing your worship to the real God, it must begin by acknowledging Him as the one who loves you. So much so that He was willing to send His Son, His most precious beloved, to save you from your sins. Here are two lies that this world believes and many of you struggle with as well. Lie number one, God only loves me when I'm a good person. That's the first lie this world believes, and many of you wonder, I wonder, constantly struggle with. Number two, God will stop loving me when I'm not a good person. Two lies. God only loves me when I'm a good person. God will stop loving me when I'm not a good person. But our passage tells us just through that one word, propitiation, that God loved you before you did any good thing, And God loves you after you've done a bad thing. That's what the gospel teaches us. Now you might be wondering, how? You know how. By sending his son Jesus to come into the world as the God-man, living the perfect life of righteousness, and dying the death of punitive sin, what did he do on the cross? He received the full punishment you and I deserve, right? where basically he lost his breath. How did Jesus die, by the way? Do you guys know how Jesus died? Was it by bleeding to death? Was it by hemorrhaging? Any Bible scholars in here know how he died? The man, the God-man, died by asphyxiation. Did you know that? You know what asphyxiation is? I know we have some doctors here. It's basically when the breath of you is cut off. You know, Crucifixion, in many ways, resembles a form of drowning. When you're drowning, you're trying hard to get above the surface. You breathe barely, and then you're sunken back in, and you can't breathe anymore. A crucified criminal would try to breathe, but as he does, he's putting weight on the nails on his wrists and on his feet, and the pain is so unbearable, he puts all of his weight back down his diaphragm, pushing out all the breath. And eventually, a criminal can only deal with such asphyxiation so much to where he dies. Jesus died literally by being unable to worship his God, the Father, to the point where he said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? A cry that I hope none of you in here will ever have to cry out. And because of Jesus, we never will. Jesus died the death we should have died so that we could worship the God that Jesus was denied on the cross of Calvary. See, when you understand that, and when you grasp that, then you can say, ah, the right attitude for worship? What should it be? 
repentance, gratitude, most of all, faith. Faith in what? Faith that this God who is so holy, so pure, loves wretched old me. He loves me, not as I deserve, but as Christ deserved. But Christ gave to me instead. That is what the gospel teaches us. That is what we do in order to truly worship him. And that is why we go out to missions. Because there is a world out there filled with people who are literally suffocating. You guys ever been around a drowning person? You know the paranoia and the anxiety that they have? It it gets so desperate to a point where they're willing to take anyone down, even if it's their best friend, even if it's their mom, even if it's their child, because the instinct is, me, 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 I got to survive, I got to survive. Can you imagine how people spiritually suffocating will treat others in that condition? Unless, of course, we give them the true breath of life in the gospel so their lives are transformed to where instead of thinking, me, 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 they can think instead, you, you, you. That's why we go on missions. Why do you think so many of us spend thousands of dollars, take time away from our vacation time, that we could going to other exotic places or hanging out with our friends or with our family? Why do people choose to do this? Because they have grasped the gospel to where instead of just saying me, 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 they think of you, you, you. I hope and pray that as opportunities arises to do things like this, you'll heavily consider your call upon your life to where you would not just wait for an annual short-term mission trip to take this opportunity to think of others, but you'll take every single moment of your life, since that's also the case since you're worshiping all the time, to where you will go out and think of others instead of just of yourself. Amen? Let's pray. Father, we ask that you would help us now to really take these words to heart and that we will honor you with everything that we are because of the fact that you have called us to be recipients of the greatest news of all. Lord, I pray that you will encourage us now in today's uh, short-term missions report and may it inspire us to be so different than how we've always been. We ask, O Lord, that you will bless us now in Jesus' name. Amen.